are the saints in the Old Testament saved? And that's what we want to talk about today. How were, say for instance, Abraham or even Adam saved? And sometimes there's a bit of confusion that they were saved in the same way or similar way in which we were saved. That is looking at Jesus, believing in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. But first of all, let's start here. Let's start here. The Bible teaches that a man, a person is saved always by faith or trusting in God. A person is saved always by faith. What does the Bible say? For by grace we have been saved. How? Through faith. And this faith is what? A gift of God. And here's the most, one of the most important parts, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the point that the Apostle Paul here is making is salvation is a result of God's gracious gift. And how, do, how is that accomplished? How do we receive that gift of salvation? Through faith. And how is it never accomplished? By what we do. So here's the point. We are never saved by what we do, but we are always saved by what we believe. Again, in Paul's fundamental teaching of this in that treatise in the book of Romans concerning what? Justification by faith alone. And, and what do we mean? And, and, and let me explain it to you guys, because I think really so for a long time, these things have not been made clear in the church. And we need to have a firm grasp on what these particular things mean. So when Paul talks about justification, justification is a judicial act of God to declare a person righteous. Consider it like this. Imagine God sitting in the judgment seat as a judge and an individual, let's say, for instance, is you standing in front of God and God is going to judge you in totality and you will either be judged by God as righteous or you will be judged by God as unrighteous. And this is what it means to be justified. So to be justified is for God to declare in a judicial sense, the individual say, for instance, you as to be righteous, bam. And so now you are determined as what? Standing before God, righteous. Or in, in other words, God simply says, you're saved. That's what it means to be declared righteous by God. All right. So, and what does Paul teach? That this type of judicial judgment of God to be declared righteous, or in another word, justified. That's what he means every time he uses that term, justified. This particular judicial act of God to determine a person righteous is never done by what a person does. So as Paul teaches in the book of Romans, that by the keeping of the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, okay, or by keeping of a principle of law. Now, what do he, what does he mean when he say a principle of law? It simply means by being obedient, by being obedient to certain commandments that God has given. So what does Paul say? By the keeping of the law or even a principle of the law, 
What? No individual can be justified before God. And he even goes on to say why? Because through the knowledge of the law, by the knowledge of the law, is also what? The knowledge of sin. Now, what does that simply mean? And I don't want to scuttle through it too quickly where you don't understand it. And I don't want to spend unnecessary time so that we can make our point. The law, the commandments of God's righteousness, all it basically does is it reveals to us the standard of God's righteousness. It tells what God says is right and what God says is wrong, what God expects from us. When we understand the law, we also understand what? We have broken the law. So see what he means? By the knowledge of the law, what? It also gives us the knowledge that we have broken God's law. And since we know that we have broken God's law, what? By the law, we cannot be justified. We cannot be declared righteous. Why? Because you did not do what God commanded you to do. And if you didn't do or live in the perfect manner into which God has commanded you to live, then you cannot be declared righteous by a holy God. The law condemns, and that's also another teaching of Paul concerning the law, or a principle of law, it condemns. Therefore, it must be by faith. It must be by belief, believing God, what? that we are declared righteous. So we are always saved. And, and allow me to hammer that point home all the time. We are always saved, not by what we do, but by what we believe. For by grace you are saved, how? Through your faith, okay? So now, what we want to address, and now we know, let me just simply say this, we know that we are saved in the church age by what? We are saved by believing what? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. Believing that what? And also Romans 10 verses 8 through 10. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. For if you confess with your mouth, what? that Jesus is Lord. You believe in his Lordship. You believe that he is Messiah. You believe that he is God in the flesh, the son of God. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and what you also believe in your heart, what that God has raised him from the dead. What did Paul say? You will be saved. And again, in verse Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 15. What did Paul say? The gospel that we preach. What about this particular gospel? That if you hold fast to, if you continue to believe in this gospel, what? You are saved. What? That number one, Jesus Christ, that he was, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected from the dead. So what is the point? And I want you guys to understand it clearly. Our belief, what we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he lived a sinless life and that he died for our sins and that he was buried. And after three days, he rose from the dead. 
This is what we now believe in order to be saved. And once we believe these things, or should I dare say, just in case somebody is always in the wings waiting to criticize without understanding, when you believe these things, they change the conduct of your life. You got it? And that's what the whole book of James is talking about. Not just simply believing in a doctrine of these things and that we are saved by faith in these things, but, but in believing these things, it changes the way we live. Okay, but that's not what I'm talking about. So let's go. That's what the church believes now. All right. But my question is, and in this particular teaching, and because we, there's sometimes confusion, we say that, well, the Old Testament saints, say, for instance, from Adam all the way up until John the Baptist. This is the Old Testament period from Adam all the way up until John the Baptist, until Jesus actually came and died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, this ended this ended as you can consider it the old testament period or even more specifically this ended the administration of the law of moses okay all right but even then from the old testament period before the law and we're going to talk about even things considering the law of moses all right how were they saved so let me address it simply this way. As we said it earlier, first of all, no one was ever saved by obedience. In other words, even once the law of Moses came, they were not saved because they kept the law. They were saved just like always and always remember this. All of God's people throughout all times have always been saved the same way. We have always been saved the same way. And how is that, Eric? We have been saved through faith and never through works. Again, that's what Romans chapter four, that's what Paul is trying to teach. They were not saved by the law. And Paul refers to the patriarch Abraham. And that's what we're gonna do in our teaching today. All right. So if you'll allow me to just slow it down briefly for one second. All right. Since we have been saved by faith, you need to understand what does that mean? All right. It's not about so much as something happening to you emotionally. It means that you are believing God for something. That's what it means to be saved by faith. Faith means to believe God. But here's the point. Faith must always have its content. Faith must always have its content. That means it must always have some avenue of expression. You're believing God in what? In what? And that's what the answer is. That's what it means to be saved by faith. All right. So we're answering the question again. How were the Old Testament saints saved? Same way we are by faith, but by believing, having faith in what? And it is always faith in the promises of God. OK, so let me just go and show you 
exactly what Paul was building his principle of his principle in this teaching from in the book of Romans chapter four. He dealt with it from Genesis chapter 15 verses one through six. So we're going to look at that and I'm going to uh, explore and explain to you how the Old Testament saints were saved so that you will understand how is it they were saved and we'll even work our way in a sense now. You know, guys, you know, we don't have all the time in the world to do this and I don't want to bore you, but I do want to enlighten you so that you'll understand these principles, how it applied to them at that time and it'll make you understand how it even applies the same way to us now. Okay, so let's just quickly look at Genesis 15 to Abraham. And here's simply the background. Remember, Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings after they had, remember, they had taken Lot, his nephew Lot. And Abraham went to rescue Lot. And after he came back from rescuing Lot, he met this particular man, Melchizedek king of Salem and priest of the most high God, this man to whom Abraham gave a tenth of the tithe. And maybe we'll give a lesson on that. You'll love it. You will love it. He gave a tenth of the tithe and this Melchizedek uh, greeted Abraham in the name of the most high God. That just simply means that the God of Melchizedek was the same God of Abraham. They're the same God. All right. And in doing that, Abraham gave him a tenth. And after that, Abraham came back from this great war, right? And, and the whole issue of this, and we cannot get into it, guys. Y'all know I love to talk about it. It was a, it was a time when Ab God had made the promise to Abraham of having a son. And so God renews. What did he do? He renews this promise that he made to Abraham. So let's just go directly to the text in Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, what? Remember, he had just came back from this battle. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. I'm your protection. And what? Your reward shall be very great. And actually in Hebrew, he, he even says, and I am your reward. I am your great reward. But anyway, that's not the point we want to hammer. So let's just continue. Abraham said, all right, Lord, fine. You said you are my reward. You are my shield and don't be afraid of anything. He says, what? Oh, Lord God, since you are my reward, what will you give me since what? I am childless. Because remember, Abraham is in this land of promise, Genesis chapter 12, because God had commanded him to go. And in faith, Abraham departed and went to this land. And what did God promise? to make of him a great nation. God promised a seed, a child from Abraham that would become a great nation, right? And so Abraham is saying, I've been here all this time and where is this, the promise of the child being fulfilled? As it is now, Lord, I am still, what? Without the child of promise. Now watch, and what? And so now if I should die, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's what the custom of that time. Right, if a person should die, then the oldest servant in the house should become the heir. And Abram said, why? And this is the case, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And that's what he's saying. So I have no child, the child that you promised me originally. So what is God going to do now? God is going to 
affirm the promise that he previously made. Look at verse number four. Then behold, attention, the word of the Lord came to him, Abram saying, this man, Eleazar, will not be your heir, but one, listen, one who will come forth from your own body. Notice that you will have your own son and he shall be your heir. And notice verse number five. And God took Abram outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to Abraham, as Abraham was staring in the sky, seeing the multitude of those stars, so shall your descendants be. So he promised him what? Two things, a son and, a, and from that son, what? A great number of people should come from Abraham. So not only will he have a child, but he will have a great number of descendants as well. He will no longer be childless. Watch this. And when God made this promise to Abraham, notice the point. God is promising Abraham something. He is promising him a child. Verse number six, then he, Abraham, what? He believed in the promises of the Lord. And when he believed God's promise, notice he didn't do anything. That's our point. He didn't per se, and let me say it in our vernacular today. He didn't live right. He didn't not lie. He didn't not steal. He didn't not commit adultery. He simply what? He believed the promise that God made him. And what? And he, God, counted Abraham's belief in him to be what? Righteousness. Justified. That's, that's Romans chapter 4. God declares it. Boom! Abraham, you are now justified. You are now righteous. And why was this righteousness credited to Abraham? Because of something he did? No, he was not credited as righteousness. Or let me simply say it, saved, like we would say it. That's what Paul is saying. He was saved. He was reckoned to be righteous because he believed God's promises. You got it? And that's how an individual, that's how Abraham was saved. So that's the principle. So, and, but now here's what you have to see. And I want to slow it down. And, I, and I'm sorry I cannot explain all of it. I cannot in this video teaching. But that's the whole of the Old Testament. It, it, it all begins, and, and let me explain it to you, children. Let me listen to it this way. It starts in the garden, okay, when God put Adam in the garden. And there, Adam had a pure choice. He could choose to obey or disobey. And God said, I've given you all the trees of the garden to eat. And you can eat of these things freely, with one exception, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But if you eat of that tree, knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And we all know what happened. Adam disobeyed God. And when he did, re always remember within Adam, that is in his seed, in his loins, in his sperm, 
and excuse the crassness, but so that you will understand it, was all of the human race, everybody. So therefore, that's why Paul mean, he, that's what Paul meant when he said, by one man's sin, all sin. That's what he meant. So therefore, we are all fallen in Adam. We, so Adam was, he developed at that point a sinful nature and that's what it mean by meant by he died so his nature therefore is sinful you got it and all that came forth from adam that's eve as well why because eve herself was taken from adam but the point is this and all that came forth from adam was sinful and that is why we are all born how in sin we are all born how with a sinful nature because adam at that point had no children and therefore when he disobeyed he developed a sin nature and this sin nature was passed to all that came forth from adam you got it so therefore in God's mercy, because notice God was righteous to just simply condemn Adam and everything that came forth from Adam. Why? What did he promise? He said, did not tell you that if you disobey me, you would die. So therefore, God is righteous. But what does the scripture says? God has mercy upon whom he chooses. So what do we see? God chose. He elected. God chose to have mercy upon Adam. And what did he do? He offered him a means of salvation. Genesis 3 and 15. So therefore, when God was speaking of those judgments, remember, judgment to the woman, judgment to the serpent, and judgment to the man. He spoke of this coming redeemer that he called what? The seed. And that's Guys, if I had to preach it all day long, that is forever your key. And that, that is the seminal statement concerning Jesus. 4,000 years later, okay? That's where it all comes from. Genesis 3 and 15. He said, and what happens? The serpent, Satan, will bruise his heel. That's the cross. But the seed will crush the head of the serpent. That is the total destruction of Satan. That's Revelation chapter 20. Okay? And we don't have time to get into that. But the point is this. Watch this. And I want you guys to understand it. So God made the promise of a coming seed. That's what Adam had to believe to be saved. All the way up, basically, from Adam all the way up to Abraham, they had to believe that there is God has promised. What has God promised? A seed that should come from a woman. And if you believed in that promise, that's the principle of Genesis 15 and 6. You must believe what God has promised. And listen, and looking forward to this promise, what? You change, you set the order for your life. And that's what it is. And so that's where these laws or principle of living come from. But 
You are saved because you believe in a promise. So let me answer the question. So what is it that Adam had to believe in order to be saved? He had to believe in his generation and the generation even up to what Abraham. He had to believe that a promised seed, Genesis 3 and 15, was coming. And in believing in this promise, they were saved. So therefore, it is a misunderstanding to believe. Listen, we say that Adam was looking forward to Jesus. Actually, Adam didn't know nothing about Jesus. Jesus was not revealed. His name was not known. Adam had no idea of the person of Jesus. All they had was the vagueness, the vagueness of this particular prophecy concerning the seed. Okay. But it was not spelled out. They just simply believed this. And in believing this, they were saved. But now allow me to continue. Here is now the principle of progressive revelation. What do we mean? Hebrews chapter one, God revealed little bit by little bit. Progressive revelation means that God did not choose to give the full entire revelation of scripture at one time. What did he do? Through a series of many different writers of at least 40, okay? Different writers over a period of over what? 4,000 years practically. Now God reveals the scripture. What do you, what, so what am I trying to say? And I want you to really get it. So therefore, by means of progressive revelation, God gave them different things to understand. And when God revealed those different things, they were then required to believe those things in order to be saved. So watch this. So it became cumulative. What was it again, Eric? It became cumulative, but even more specific for their generation. So watch, let's bring it together. So God has now said what in Genesis 3 and 15, there will be a seed of the woman. Right. OK, now we understand it. Then notice we move to Genesis chapter 12 and God has now continued to reveal what that now that from the seed of the woman, it comes from specifically a man, Abraham himself. So what we got, let's bring it together. A seed from a woman, from what woman? From, from the family of Abraham. You get it? A woman in what now? Genesis 15. Abraham believed that this seed would come from him. So now the revelation is now what? It's built upon the previous one. So a woman from Abraham. So now what is it that you must believe? That the seed, because everything, notice even in Genesis 12, it's always about the seed, the coming seed. We know, we know in our time it is Jesus, but the point is that it is always about Salvation comes by believing in the seed that should come. You got it? So now when you get to Genesis chapter 12, what do you see? You see now the further revelation is that the seed is not, is not just simply generalized from a woman. What woman? We don't know just a woman, but 
a woman that should come from whose family? Abraham. And now you must believe that. And in believing that, you are saved. But just let's go even further. We find the prophecy. Do you remember when Jacob was on his dying bed? Remember that? And there you have all the sons of Jacob surrounding him. And now Jacob makes a further promise as he, and remember, the favorite son at this time was Joseph, Ephraim, right? And this was the bountiful family of blessings. But notice Jacob then gives a further promise concerning the sea. It's a beautiful statement, guys. And notice what he says. Ah, but something shall come, but not from Ephraim, but it shall come from Judah. From Judah shall he come. It is Shiloh. And the rod, the scepter of power shall not leave from his hand. So now he begins to tell us what? That the coming seed line shall be continued. Not only from Abraham, because who do we have? Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Ah, that seed line. But the seed now comes from what? The particular tribe of Judah. So therefore, we so what must you believe? Not only from a woman, not only from Abraham, but now even specifically that the seed comes from Judah. And in believing these things, you are saved. And then let's go on for one more final caveat. And then there comes a man, and that's why we have that wonderful book of, uh, 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 what is it, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth that identifies the family, how David's family did what? Descended from Judah because it must stay in the seed line. It must remain. It shows cont continuity that David came from what? From the family of Judah. And that God makes specific promises. It sets you up for 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David decides to, he wants to build a house for God and God is blessed by David's desire, but he doesn't allow David to build the house. But what does God say? Tell David that I will build him a house. Continuation of the seed, you see? continuation I will build him a house and from him shall one come who shall sit on the throne forever now we see what notice progressive revelation seed of a woman see it now see it now family of Abraham from the tribe of Judah and David is from Judah and not only that from the family explicit of David. See, that's why Jesus is always referred to as son of David. But notice that continuation of the seed line. And in believing these things, you are saved. So you now believe in what? That one should come from David. And even explicitly, Isaiah teaches us, he brings it back to us. Isaiah chapter 7, he talks about this virgin from which that one will be born from the house of David. Notice, a virgin shall conceive a child and we will call his name, what? Emmanuel, God who is with us.
You see? So, the point that I'm trying to make is they were never saved by works. No one in no time, not in the time of the Old Testament, nor in the time of the New Testament, our time. But we have always been saved by faith. That is what we believe. But here is the point. Believe what? Faith must always have content. You have to believe a specific promise of God. And in the Old Testament, what was required for them to be saved? Believe in the promises to which God had made known to them up unto that time period. They did not believe. Now we know it all pointed to Jesus, son of David, seed of Abraham, born of a woman, Mary. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? We all know that it pointed to Jesus. We know that in our time, but they did not know that in their time, okay? But they just simply had these promises. So they had to believe these promises. But now that all of these things are now fulfilled, we must believe in the full revelation of Jesus as the promised seed and the Messiah. All right. <laughs> Sorry that took so long, guys. But thanks for staying with me to the end. Anyway, if you haven't subscribed, please do so now. Support the channel so we can keep bringing you these lessons, okay? And by the way, always be sure to hit that notification button so you'll be notified every time we bring you a lesson. All right, guys. See you next time.